Best Book Bit Podcast brings you Una Duncan, a multi-award winning fitness expert, author of the international best-selling book, Healthy as Fuck, or Ditch the Diet for the US Audience, which was just named one of the top 100 fitness books of all time by Book Authority. Una helps people get healthy and happy through a habits-based approach. Una is the founder of the Feel Good Movement, which recognizes that fitness is not about a number on the scale. It's about feeling good. Una, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. No worries at all. Now, we'll deep dive into your book. It's an amazing book for people out there who haven't read it. Check it out online. We're going to deep dive into that in a sec. But tell me how you got started in the fitness industry and why you wrote the book. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I was pretty, as I say in the book, I was not a fitness person at all. I was an actor. I was very out of shape. I was a smoker. And I just, I started teaching fitness class. So I talk about my whole journey about how I struggled with my weight and struggled with physical exercise for a long time. And then eventually I started to figure out a method that worked for me and I got a little bit fitter. I was still smoking and not really, it wasn't my life or anything like that. And then I started teaching fitness classes mostly because, and I was an actor and I was mostly teaching fitness classes because it was enough like performing. Everyone's looking at me. I got to wear the shiny spandex and whatever. And I just ended up having a great time doing that. And then I remember getting to this point where, and I was also a playwright and spending all day and I would trying to get grants for playwrights and for playwriting and stuff like that. And I would teach a class at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. because that's when you teach fitness classes. And I would audition and write my plays during the day. And then I remember I just had this big epiphany one day that I was actually having way more fun doing my stupid fitness stuff that I really like, it was virally for me. I was just doing it for fun. Then I was trying to get this acting and playwriting off the ground. And as soon as I made that decision, it was like my career just took off. I started a boot camp company and I started, had a bunch of different locations in Toronto. And it was just so, you know, I think people spin their wheels a lot being like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? What's my destiny? And for me, it was just like taking the piss. Okay, let's just try this stupid thing. And I didn't take it seriously at all. And the more I followed that, let's just keep going because it's fun. I never would have guessed there could be an actual career. And I started blogging mostly because I had stuff that I wanted to say to my clients. And I just started writing these blogs and putting them out there. And then eventually someone said, hey, I don't know if you've ever considered writing a book, but if you did, I would be interested. I'm an editor. I'd be interested in seeing that. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so that got me to write a proposal. And then it just went from there and it's exploded. Who knew? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I always like finding out how a book came about. So first it came about through a bit of a passion, a side gig, then it became a full-time thing. All of a sudden, you started to serve clients, getting feedback, writing blogs to answer their questions about, okay, here's the information. And then that turned in a blog, turned into a book. That's great. Tell us a little bit about how the diet industry disappointed you back in the day and what types of diets that you did and that ultimately failed. Like, what diet did I not do? I did all of them. All of them. I think my earliest memories of wanting to lose weight is literally in grade four. It's probably eight years old. I remember lying about my weight to my schoolmates and moving on. That just grew as I got older. And I remember being in high school and doing secretly. It was always very secret because I still grew up with the, you shouldn't be on a diet. You should love yourself and all that sort of stuff. And I was very, <laughs> I defined myself as a radical feminist. And I was like, I was trying to be all gothy in school and stuff. Wasn't really pulling it off, but that was the kind of vibe that I wanted to pull, pull off. Not at all like cheerleader girl who's trying to lose weight and on a diet all the time. So this is my kind of secret world. 
And I remember seeing an article in the back of a magazine, an ad, when they used to have those like physical print ads. And it, and so I sent away for some green algae, some green slime that I was supposed to take at night on an empty stomach and it like eats the fat cells from within or whatever. So I did that. I did Atkins. I did Weight Watchers. I did all of them. I did the, oh, Slim Fast and I could go on and on. It's a history of the diet industry and I tried all of them. Crazy. And some of the stats that you put first in the book, so I'll just read them out. 75 million Americans actively trying to lose weight. 30% of North Americans are clinically obese. People spend, Americans spend on average $800 a year trying to fix the problem, buying juice cleansers, meal plans, workout programs, weird ass herbal supplements as well. But the whole industry as a whole, it's worth $66 billion per year, which is absolute crazy as well. Yeah, I've got a lot of, I'm doing a health challenge at the moment and I'm going through, I've been yo-yo dieting for the last 15 years. So one of the reasons that I wanted to read your book and get you one as well is to learn about what is the correct way to do this and how can we get off the roller coaster, as you call it, and go around the merry-go-round. Yeah, just so at this point, I have an online company where I take people through a physical transformation program. So I've observed and mentored over of people going through this process. And so I've seen these patterns, and that's what made me want to write this book. So the pattern that as often as someone will start at often right now in January, people will be like, all right, let's do this. I'm going to do this. And they get so excited about their new diet and they tell everyone, okay, I found the way and this is going to be a thing. And oh my gosh, it's working. And they get so pumped about it. And then there comes a day when they're like, I don't really feel like doing that thing today. And so maybe they don't. And then they're like, okay, shake it off. I'm going to start again on Monday. But then it's like the joy has gone out of it. It's starting to feel a bit like a duty. And then another day comes and they're like, okay, start to have these thoughts in your head where you're like, just park it today and then I'll pick it up. But you know what? I'm tired and blah, 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 blah. And then you've, quote unquote, fallen off the wagon, which is language that I hear all the time. And so that's like the diet roller coaster when you're so excited. Oh my God, it's working. And then, oh no, ah, crash and burn. And then you wait for the next round and it's going to be a whole new thing this time. And it's that excitement. I have heard once someone say, I am never happier than on the first day of my new diet. That's the moment when you've got so much hope and so much excitement and you feel like the world's yours. And it's, you know, what they call in the stages of change, it's called uninformed optimism. And eventually you get to informed pessimism when you realize that this is going to be hard. And what most people do is they bounce and they try and go back to the uninformed optimism with a whole new diet. And that is the diet roller coaster, which I don't have to tell you, it wreaks havoc on your metabolism. So it just doesn't work. Plus, it makes you fucking miserable. Absolutely fucking miserable. Because you get the sense of yourself as someone who is a failure who can't do it. And it's not that you can't do it. It's because you're setting yourself up for failure and having this big, unsustainable diet. Because people really, they go all or nothing. Instead of having what is way more freaking boring and works way better, which is just like boring habits that we all learned in kindergarten. She'll eat a lot of vegetables go to fuck to sleep. Don't drink so much booze. And you're like, Ona, seriously, tell me the real secret, like the real thing. And I'm like, no, that is the real thing. You've always known it. There are no freaking secrets here. The secret is you got to do it like consistently, like forever, like on your birthday and on weekends. And when you don't want to, you still have to do those stupid, boring habits. That's a big secret. What is that analogy? People think time period where you can look after your health for a certain period of time. And then after that, everything's going to be hunky-dory and sweet. But it's just like a relationship. It's just like work. It's just like, well, 
these things take time and these things compound as well, which we'll jump into a little bit later on. I love chapter one. You can get straight into it. You talk about get your head out of your ass. And one of the things you write is what if you decided that you didn't have to lose weight after all? I know it's crazy, but just stay with me. The truth is that we have body trends. Now, can you talk about what you mean by that and in talk about body trends as well? And I like how you wrote about the Kim Kardashian asked that if that was happening in the 90s, that you would have been like, what the hell? So talk about a little bit about, do you really need to lose weight? And what about body trends? Oh, I think it's fascinating. When you look back over history, even just of the 20th century, the body ideal of each sort of roughly decade, it varied wildly. Like in the 20s, you're supposed to kind of look like a boy. In the 50s, it was all about super curvy Marilyn Monroe. Then you get to the 60s and you're supposed to look like Twiggy. And it's all over the place. So I have to ask people who are busting their asses quite literally and also in their head constantly, oh my God, I got to diet down to look like heroin chic in the 90s or whatever. And I've got to do a million glute bridges to get my butt big. And like they are sweating blood and tears to reach these ideals, which are going to go out of fashion probably in about, I don't know, the cycle's getting faster these days because the internet, blah, blah, blah. But like 10 years, no one's going to care about your butt because it's going to be all about a clavicle or whatever, like thigh gap. There's, and it's invented, dudes. It's totally freaking invented. The other day, someone said, I posted a picture of Linda Carter, who used to play Wonder Woman in the 70s. Freaking gorgeous, like gorgeous. And someone posted a comment that said, oh my God, she's got hip dips and she doesn't even care. And I was like, what the hell are hip dips? Like, what is the flaw in this gorgeous woman? And I Google it, hip dips are apparently like a huge problem now. And I never forget, it's just, it's manufactured bullshit. So I'm just saying, if that's why you want to change your body, you might want to park that because it's not, there's never going to be a sustainable joy. Just staying on that, like I'm 37, I got two kids, I've got a dad bot and I look at my, all my mates who've got kids and I'm probably in okay, better shape than 90% of them. And then you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, who's basically nailed the dad bot with no kids out of shape, never really been in shape. Women love him, always got a new girlfriend. At the end of the day, it does come down to body trends and just accepting the fact that maybe you're actually at the ideal body weight of what you are. And maybe you need to be happy with that, which I love how you express in the book through there as well. But two things you bring up straight away, and there's two facts. So the two simple facts, the body you're looking at right now is a result of your genetics and your habits. Can you jam on that a little bit? Yeah. So I go on to say, you might not choose that you need to lose weight. So if you've been going crazy, thinking about losing the last 10 pounds, the last 10 years, and it's like this constant buzz in your mind and constant unchecked box on your to-do list, you might give yourself permission to just let that go. However, you might choose that actually, no, I really want to get super ripped and lean or whatever. So what I'm trying to empower people with is the choice, because I think people grow up with this kind of like victim mentality. And so I'm saying, if you look down at your body right now, you, and you do that with love, your body right now is the result of two things, is your genetics and your habits. And there is nothing you can do about your genetics, but you can have total control over your habits. And that's what I'm trying to tell people in the book. You can actually choose your habits are running about 40% of your life with unconsciously, right? So this is a massive amount of your actions are just habits. And so if you can consciously choose your habits, you're going to be able to choose a good portion of what your body looks like and feels like. And I like how you talk about drop the guilt and the best, the ultimate act of defiance of love that you say, 
is love the body you're in right so step number one it's it's your genetics fine it's your habits you definitely can change your habits but step one just acknowledge your body for what it is it keeps you alive so we're always trying to externally make it beautiful but your body works 24 7 even while you sleep to keep you alive so the next part of the book you talk about find the fucks what is find the fucks what I'm saying is, okay, so if you choose, all right, that's it. I'm going to go on a body transformation program or whatever. I'm going to get healthy this year. I'm like, if you are going to do that, you better find the fucks. You better really care about it because developing and cultivating new habits, it's a pain in the ass. Once you get them established, then you're on autopilot and it's amazing. But getting them off the ground, that actually takes a lot of effort and you have to be present and really ready to put some effort in. It's like when you first start to do anything, you when you first try to learn how to drive, you have to really want to learn how to drive. There's a lot of administration. There's a lot of skills. There's a lot of stuff. Tests to blah, blah, blah. You're a teenager. You really want to drive. So you go through all that. And now we drive and we don't even think about it. We're chatting on the phone and blah, blah, blah. And so that's how your new habits are going to be. They're going to require some serious fuck giving right off the bat. So you can't think I'm just going to in the background, do this diet. That's not going to work. You're really going to have to care about this. And sometimes when I talk to my clients and they're like, is that happening? I'm like, how important is, is this really that important to you? And if it's not, oh my God, let it go. Let it fly. You don't need to put that in your vision board this year if you don't care that much. And the biggest one you say about, it's not necessarily just about people confuse weight loss with happiness and feeling. So what that means is People are chasing a number on a scale for them to give the approval for them to be happy when they hit that number on the scales or when they fit into that particular size jeans or when they hit that particular goal. But realistically, people are chasing a feeling and they're chasing happiness and they're setting that to an external target. What you talk about is you can be happy right now and you can feel good right now while actively changing your habits to get to that place. But don't put your, I call it, don't put your happiness in someone else's pocket, but don't put your happiness on an external goal, put it on a rocket, send the rocket away, and always chasing that feeling and happiness as well. Is there anything you want to expand on before we jump into? Just tell me the, how the fuck to get skinny already, which is one of your chapters. Yeah, this is why I called my company Fit Feels Good, because I really believe that not only what we're actually chasing is that feeling of happiness. If you figure out why do you want to lose the 10 pounds? Because you think you're going to be happier when you get there. Well, I'm saying we have to start practicing being happy right now in the body that we're in. And a lot of people don't believe me on this. They're like, oh, Una, come on. If I allow myself to be happy in the body, then I'll let myself off the hook, right? And actually, it doesn't work that way. And this is scientifically backed up. If you are looking at yourself in the mirror every day and being like, you fat piece of shit, you blah, 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 and you're like beating yourself up all the time, you all you're doing is you are creating neural pathways that are reinforcing, I suck, I'm never going to do this, which A, is never going to get you to your result. B, even if you somehow managed, like what I say is you will, no one has ever hated themselves into a body that they loved. So even if you manage to diet your way down to whatever you think your goal weight is, you're still only going to have these neural pathways of self-hate. You're going to look in the mirror and be like, okay, yeah, my belly's flat, but what about my boobs are gone now? Or what about this stuff under my arms? And you are going to, this discontent and self-criticism is going to be the only thing you've ever practiced. So I'm saying if your eventual goal is happiness and, you know, luxuriating in your hot body, you can practice that right now in the body that you're in. It will get you to where you want to go and you'll immediately have the result that you want. That's what works. I love how you said you'll never hate your way into the body that you love. And it's totally correct because even when you get there, 
you're still going to find out something that you hate about your body as well. So why not get happy now while trying to work with the body that you do love right now and then love it even more once you get to your desired goal with uh, body composition. I love how you talk about next chapter. You say why discipline and motivation and willpower are bullshit. And I'll just go through some stats that you read, which was amazing. So 25% of people abandon their New Year's resolution just after one week. So we're nearly one week into January. So I'm sure there's going to be 25% of out there through there. I find a lot of challenges. I'm doing a nine-week health challenge at the moment. Starts on Feb 1st. And I think what that does is weed out all the people who have started the New Year's resolution or they get them back on the train after they realize new resolutions don't work. You said an overwhelming 80% of people have bailed on their resolution by February, which is crazy. And the average person will make the same damn resolution five times without success. But the biggest stat you say here, which is nuts. So motivation has nothing to do with it. Studies show that even after a heart attack, only 14% of patients make any lasting change around eating or exercise. That is absolutely crazy. So can you talk about discipline, motivation, and willpower and why they're... This is the thing. When you ask most people why they're not in the shape they want to be in, they will always, almost always give, they'll tell you they don't have time, but then they'll say, I just don't have enough discipline or motivation or willpower. And the thing is that those discipline, motivation, willpower, these are finite resources. Like we can really gather that up at the beginning of the year or whenever we're like feeling pumped, but actually the, um, life is going to throw something at you. And they take, because discipline, motivation, and willpower, that eats up enormous resources. So as soon as anything else comes up, you know, you get a stressy time at work, something's going on with your family, that discipline, motivation, and willpower, it goes out the window. You park it. And this is what people do. They're like, oh, yeah, my life's crazy right now, so I can't do that dieting or that exercise thing I said I was going to do. That's what happens with discipline, motivation, and willpower. It, 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 for it, you, in order to execute it, you have to be a thousand percent doing that. And that's not always possible. What you need are habits. Habits. You just need to put this, it needs to be automatic and it needs to feel rewarding. So you need to have an automatic habit that immediately gives you a sense of reward because having enough discipline to wait for that external eventual award, it doesn't work. Yeah, correct. Habits are boring. No one wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to talk about the fancy motivation, willpower and discipline, which we do need that if we want to get off our ass and to the fridge. Let's get up. Okay. That's to do a simple act. But talking about rewards, I was having this conversation the other day with my PT and we're talking about, you would rather, a lot of people just go, I'm going to go smash the gym and do an hour at the gym. And they do that for a week and then they get bored. Then they drop everything. But what if you did 30 minutes of a workout and you actually spent 30 minutes in the kitchen or 30 minutes shopping or going to a market? So 30 minutes on nutrition, preparing meals, and then 30 minutes of exercise. That is, you know, you can balance that out. And that's a habit. So what I was explaining, like I come from the I come from the field of I've got heaps of willpower, heaps of discipline, heaps of motivation. I'll go and smash it on the workout side, but I'll neglect the nutrition side. But the Oh my gosh. Hundred percent. You know what? If your goals are body composition changes, to be honest, it's gonna be like 80-90% nutrition. So if you really only have a little bit of time, if you've got one hour a week to put towards this goal, I would say make that hour meal prep and make yourself a whole bunch of healthy food. If you have healthy food in your fridge, you will eat healthy food. That is the best time investment towards body composition changes. I'll read a little bit about the book. So you do talk about the need for better habits and Aristotle's quoted for saying we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not so much as an act, but a habit. But the breakthrough best-selling author has a daily writing habit. 
We don't hear about it until it's a bestseller. Professional basketball players shoot hundreds of hoops every day. Michael Phelps practiced swimming every day, even on Christmas. For the reason he excelled in his, it's the habits. And what you say here is crazy. Have you ever wondered why there's never been a Biggest Loser reunion show? Why Why is that? Why don't they have a Biggest Loser reunion show? The unfortunate fact is that they've normally gained it back plus, which is a kind of a lot of us have had that experience in the microcosm, right? And that's because they never developed sustainable habits that make them feel good. And so this is the thing when people say, oh, I keep falling off the wagon with my habit. I'm like, it's, you fall off the wagon because you're relying on discipline and motivation and willpower versus relying on that habit feeling good. So most people, and when they are not consistent with their habits, and really is about consistency, and I can talk about the value of small wins later, but most people, when they're not consistent with their habits, it's because their habits are really, they've made it way too hard and way too unpleasant. So you got to figure out a way for your habit to feel either inherently rewarding or you have to bribe yourself. Like when people are like, I just, I need more motivation. I'm like, no, you don't. You just need a bribe. Like the way I started exercising from being a very sedentary smoker was that I bribed myself that I was allowed to watch super trashy TV, but only if I was on a treadmill and I could walk because I was not, a, I couldn't run at the time. I just had to be moving on the treadmill and I allowed myself to watch like Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. And that will keep you on the treadmill when you are waiting to find out like who the father is. Like that guy's so exciting. And it was something that I never would have allowed myself to do except I was on the treadmill. So then I started to make an association of exercise with this like guilty pleasure treat. And when you, that's how the habits are built. Yeah. Just to the Maury Pop, that particular show in Jerry Springer and the Maury Povich show, was it called? That was huge in the 90s. I remember as a teenager watching that in the 90s. I, I don't know why. Back with the habits, the reason why they don't have the biggest solution reunion show is why they don't have Tats Lotto winners reunion show to see what they've done with the money after five, 10 years because they've blown it all because they haven't had habits. They came into money quickly and these people came into weight loss quickly as well. So they never, habits take a long time. They take years to form. You talk about the scope on the habit loop and I'll read a little bit and this is crazy. So think about all the habits you currently have and you touched on this just earlier, but it's a huge pain in the ass to brush your teeth every day. But you brush your teeth every day because you can smell your own breath when it stinks. And you don't have to force yourself to take a shower because after you do a workout and you stink, you want to shower. So these are the brushing the teeth, showering. You put your seatbelt in your car so you don't die when you have a car accident. And you check your emails every day just in case you don't miss something as well. So these are the habit loops as well. Those things now, putting on your seatbelt and brushing your teeth, we don't even think about them. But the reason that we developed those habits in the first place is because they became rewarding. We start to that minty feeling on our teeth. And we that didn't always happen. Like my son, the other day, when he was five years old, I remember saying, have you brushed your teeth? And he was like, I just brushed them yesterday. So for him, it felt like this big duty that he had to do. But now, of course, he just brushes his teeth naturally and he does his thing, as do most of us. So what I'm trying to say is that something that did feel like a big, God, do I have to do this? It can become something that you don't even think about, that is completely natural, and it becomes part of your identity. We start to think of ourselves, hey, I am someone with good dental hygiene. I am the kind of person who will always eat vegetables before dessert or whatever. You just start to become that kind of person. That yeah, and you can also, it can take it too far as well. Like I, I worked with a guy who brushed his teeth seven times a day, which was no crazy. Like after every meal, he would carry around his toothbrush and toothpaste. Anyway, moving on. So you talk about the seven habits of highly healthy 
motherfuckers. We can swear in this podcast because you swore in the book and it got published. You talk about a keystone habit. What is a keystone habit? Yeah, a keystone habit is the habit that... So in architecture, a keystone is the stone that kind of holds the whole thing together. So in habits, a keystone habit is one that sets off a ripple effect. So the example that I often give is for me, a keystone habit is waking up and exercising first thing in the morning. So, and the reason that's a keystone habit for me is that if I do that, then, you know, afterwards, I want to have a healthy breakfast. I don't want to have a croissant because I've worked out. I want something nourishing. Then I've got all this energy and I'm in a great mood. So I'll like maybe pre-prep a lunch. And then like after school, I have more time to hang out with my kids because I've already done my workout. And then I don't drink in the evenings because I know I have to get up early to, to have my workout. So it's not that my workout burns all these calories and that's why I'm fit. It's that workout sets off a ripple effect throughout my day that leads to all these other positive behaviors. Yeah, totally agree. We've got to talk about my keystone habits. It's I've got three exercises. I can go either do a gym workout with weights. I can go to the gym and do cardio, or I can walk my dog or ride my bike. So there's three or four different keystones. I just got to do one of those a day, every day, tick it off. That's it. Move on. If I do that 300 times, at 365 times this year, I'm going to be okay. And then if I nail my nutrition, I'm going to be okay. So it's, it's not a big secret. It's not a big deal. So that's my keystone habit. And I'm sure there's people who have keystone habits out there as well. Let's jump into the habits. So people listening, people playing at home. Habit number one, you talk about, and I love this one because it just made sense. And I've actually applied it straight away after reading the book a couple of days ago. Fill half of every plate with vegetables. <laughs> so... Every time you sit down, you got your plate in front of you, you just fill half of it with non-starchy veg. So not potatoes. I'm talking about lettuce and carrots and all those kind of things. And if you do that alone, we'll take care of a lot of your caloric intake because those are not very calorically dense. It will take care of a lot of your nutrient intake because it's very nutrient dense. If you just do that one habit, you will feel so much better. So much better. Teach me because I'm... I do a lot of weights and I do a lot of gym and I'm under the presumption of eating more protein. So protein. Talk to me why that maybe it's not the best ideal scenario and why we don't need that much protein. I definitely want to go on the record and say I'm not anti-protein at all. But I will say that in popular culture, there is an overemphasis on protein and an underemphasis on vegetables. When you look at the World Health Organization recommendations for daily intake of vegetables, in North America at least, there's, I don't know, 10% of people are getting the recommended daily servings of vegetables, which is like pathetic. However, most of North Americans are eating double the amount of recommended protein. So I will just say that there's a really good chance that most people are eating more protein than they need, which probably won't hurt them except it's excess calories, more calories than they need. And they're not eating nearly enough vegetables. That is for most people. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And protein's very, as you said, caloric rich. And so you're, if you're eating too much protein, maybe your calories every day is, it's going to be hard to shed those excess body weights if you keep putting too many calories into your mouth as well. Yeah, I just... Yeah, like people are sitting in their cars eating protein bars or whatever. And I'm like, the job of protein, <laughs> the job of protein is to build and repair muscles and tissue. So protein is amazing. After you've done your strength training workouts, for example, what you've done is you've created all these little micro tears in your muscles. And then when they repair, then they get 
bigger and stronger. So that's amazing. And you want protein to help um, support that process. So that's amazing. But if you are sitting in your car or you're sedentary and you are not like doing a lot to tear and break down your muscles that they need more repair, right? You don't need to be scarfing protein all the time. I would say you need more vegetables. One of the things you said was roasted vegetables as well, if you're short on time, which I did. So I did a big roasted vegetables yesterday. So I'm looking forward to eating those today as well. Jumping on to habit number two, you say go to go the fuck to sleep. Now, someone like myself who normally averages six to seven hours trying to get more in, you talk about lack of sleep produces cortisol. A lack of sleep basically makes you drunk, which I understand that. Sleep is when you reap the benefits of your workout. A good sleep boosts your immune system and keeps you ready to move. And when you're sleeping, you aren't snacking. Apart from those things, why should we get more sleep and why is that related to our health? It's just that. I've got so many clients who are like, I'm so good with my habits, except for at night I start snacking. And I'm like, you're not hungry. You're fucking tired. That's your body being like, give me energy. I'm exhausted. And you're like, okay, I think this is a job for popcorn. It's not. It's a job for sleep. And when you are not, if you have had insomnia or whatever, and it's like you're drunk, like they've done tests on people who have sleep deprived and have had a lot of drinks. And when you've had a couple of drinks, do you make amazing health choices? No, you do not. You sit on your butt and you have a lot of munchies and maybe choose not the most healthy munchies. That's how most people act. Yeah, I used to suffer from intermittent sleep insomnia and I can tell you it's worse than being drunk. It's literally walking around in a hay. So now number three, talking about booze. Have a three, talk about back away from the booze. Now I've had a personal experience on this. I've been, today is actually the sixth. So I stopped drinking the 6th of January, 2022. So it's today, it's my one year anniversary. So I'm going to pat myself on the back. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, I've dropped the booze. And apart from the health benefits, feeling good and not being hungover or just even drinking in general, I can actually see, and this is a bad trait, other people's drinking problems. And so it's, wow. Because I can, I used to drink for 22 years. When I say 22 years, it was like I didn't really take a year break or even a month break. I can actually see other people's drinking problems becoming an ex-drinker myself. And people are like, oh, you've done it. You're going to do a year. You're going to get back on it. When are you going to get back on it? And it's like, it's crazy. So you talk to me about how important it is to back away from the booze, from the health benefits. But I can attest to that, how good it is. I just, I've had so many clients who are busting their asses with the workouts and they only eat organic and they're like so careful with all this and they drink half a bottle of wine every night. And I'm like, oh, like you're fucking up everything else that you've done. That is so many excess calories that is going to inhibit you. Like you're going to be less inhibited. You're going to have munchies probably. Even if you don't, you just consumed a lot of extra calories. That is completely going to mess up your sleep. And so you're going to feel less likely to work out the next day. You're going to be less likely to make good food choices. It's We're speaking of keystone habits. That's a negative keystone habit that will have a ripple effect in almost every other area. So I'm just like, if people say, what's the one thing that I could do? And people are saying like, oh my God, I'm going to get rid of sugar. I'm going to get rid of carbs. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry to tell you this, but it's probably going to be the booze that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck if you're going to make any efforts at all. Get rid of the booze or reduce it. Absolutely. And to use an extreme example, like you could be an amazing parent, fantastic. And at night you just go shoot up heroin and it's, hang on a sec, those two things don't mix. And people are like, oh, I've nailed the day. I've done my workout, done my Pilates. 
I've eaten right, and then I'm just going to smash the booze. And it's like, Ronnie Coleman, who was uh, one of the top Mr. Olympia for like seven years, it, on his documentary, one thing I got out of it, he never, ever touched alcohol. And he's, he said, bodybuilders don't touch alcohol. And it was like a keystone, nah. And these are things that like go hand in hand, and it's either one or the other. So you can try to, people try to fake it. And I've been there for a decade, out to train a bad diet, and then with the liquid calories, tipping that over the scale. So I was never getting the results. So I was working hard, but it was because I could never drop the boot. Massive topic through there. We'll move on. To habit number four, you talk about chill your ass out and meditate. And I like how you say meditation is like gym for your brain. Why do we need to chill out? Why do we need to meditate? Why is it so good for us? Yeah. You know what? It's so funny. Um, I get so much resistance for this because a lot of people are attracted to maybe a brand like mine. They want to go hard and they want to tell me what to do and I'll do it. And they want to do doing jumping jacks in front of their computer or whatever. And I'm like, actually, let's calm down. And let's, and they're like, oh, it actually reminds me of when I first did a yoga certification, my, my yoga instructor told me this story about how he was, um, he was leading a class and he was starting really slow, head rolls and connect to your breath and blah, blah, blah. And there was a woman in the front row who was like, just getting so angry and antsy. And after a bit, he was like, is anything wrong? And he's, she's, yeah, I got to burn 500 calories today. So can we get on with it? And he said, maybe if you sit still long enough, you'll figure out why you eat 500 calories too much. <laughs> and when I heard that story, I was like, Shit, that might be me because I'm like running around and like doing the meal prep and like goes crazy and never taking a moment to being like, do I feel so antsy? Why do I want to eat my feeling? You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just got to sit down and figure yourself out. And especially because a lot of people will say they eat, they maybe overeat because of emotions. It's a stress response. Maybe they drink to have that at the end of the day. I'm just saying that if you can meditate and maybe get a little bit of those good feelings, you're going to feel a lot better than if you try and numb out using food or booze or exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And also people have, they don't have a good relationship with hunger. What I mean by that is that the onset of hunger and they just run straight to the fridge or pantry or the drive through and they just, they never sit with it. They never, they never like rest with it as well. So you talk about hunger isn't an emergency. Diarrhea is an emergency. I like that little phrase through there as well. We'll jump into habit five. You talk about eat it, but eat weight less of it. I'll just give you a bit of a rundown. So you say eat veggies, fill half your plate with vegetables, all of them. Eat protein, limit the size to your palm, and then eat carbs, limit the size to your fist, and then the fat, the size of your thumb. I really like that. Is there anything more you want to expand on? Eat it all, but eat weight less of it. Yeah, so I just feel like a lot of people are trying to, it's really gimmicky when people are saying like, oh, get rid of all carbs or get rid of all sugar, or when they have this really all or nothing approach to anything. And especially when it comes to the major macronutrients like carbs. I'm like, we need carbs to live. We need carbs to have any kind of energy. You need carbs for your brain and you need protein for this and you need fat for, you know, processing certain vitamins in your hair and your blah, blah, blah. So you can't, to go totally fat-free or carb-free or whatever is just absurd. That's not going to ever work, ever. So eat it all, but just portions. And I think that we are completely out of whack when it comes to portions. Like that last one, fat the size of your thumb. So if all of your beautiful listeners right now will look at their little adorable, cute little thumbs, and I want you to look at that sucker and think, 
that is a portion of cheese. And it's usually way less than most people are eating. And so I think that when people do my program, one of the biggest things they say is, oh my gosh, I was just eating way too much food. Because a lot of people who are attracted to programs like mine, they usually are very healthy eaters. Like they are not people who are having Cocoa Pops for breakfast and whatever. They're people who really care about this. And they're usually people who are just eating too much of that healthy food. Half an avocado on a salad is going to be too much for most women, I will say. Yeah, too much of it. No, I'm guilty of that as well. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. Just because I think it's healthy, I might be eating double of it as well. So maybe, as you said before about the meditation, maybe I need to meditate and realize that I actually eat too much and I eat for pleasure and I enjoy it. And because I work from home, I'm like in the kitchen all the time, walking past the kitchen, which is cool. Yeah, I need to slow the fuck down, as you say, and don't eat unless you're genuinely hungry as well and experience hunger. I really love that as well. Yeah, great stuff. We're going to run out of time, so I'm going to just flick through the next habits, which is chapter six, prep and plan ahead. Talk to me about that. We've already talked about roast your veggies, but what are some of the other things that people can do with prepping and planning ahead? Yeah, just like I said, if you have healthy food, you're going to eat healthy food. Otherwise, you're just going to eat whatever happens to be available when you become really hungry. And if you look around at society, what's generally available is usually not that good for you. So you really just, if you're going to invest one hour a week, like I said, make it meal prep. And my meal prep is so simple. I don't even do recipes. I make a whole bunch of lentils. I roast a whole bunch of veggies and I will marinate some tofu. That's it. That is my meal prep. And I'm not really much of a foodie, so I'm fine to eat the same boring stuff all the time. If you're a foodie, you might want to, I don't know, make a ginger soup or whatever foodies do, but you can make it fancier is what I'm saying, but it does not have to be. Yeah. And I read an Instagram, I read an Instagram, I was on Instagram before and a story popped up and it was like, we eat the same five to 10 meals weekly and we repeat the cycle. So at the end of the day, it's not like you got to buy new cookbooks. It's figure out what you like to eat, work it out, consistently repeat, we do it. Simple as that. Merry-go-around shit, no roller coaster stuff. Boring, but it works. Boring. Yeah, it's boring, but it works, guys. Like, your food doesn't have to be your entertainment. Get entertainment. Do other stuff for fun. <laughs> that That's exactly right. Yeah, use use food as nutrition and do other things for entertainment. You talk about Habit 7, the last one, exercise consistently. We've touched on this already, but how important is it just to have a habit of moving your body every day and doing something? Yeah, is, is amazing for stress reduction, for longevity, for general health, for your mood. It's actually not that great for weight loss and body composition changes, except that it is a keystone habit that has a ripple effect. Like I said, it's my keystone habit is exercise because it makes me eat healthier, sleep more, drink less, blah, blah, blah. That's what exercise does for me. And it's really all com compounding all those that affects my body. You can't go for a run and erase the calories that you had for lunch. That is not how exercise works. We need to get, that's a binge and purge mindset that never works. But exercise will make you a healthier person and a healthier person takes certain actions and it's that identity that's really going to change it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for expanding on that. And just to type a couple of things as well. So people might nail all these things and then they might stop. Now, I don't know who writes your chapter titles, but you've got a chapter called How Not to Be a Big Fat Quitty McQuitterface, you say this, do or not do, there is no try, which is a Yoda thing as well. Talk to us a little bit about some of the steps. So step one, you talk about declutter. How important is this to declutter and get away trigger foods, your closet and digital decluttering as well? I'm just saying set up your environment for success. Like when you have that big 
rush of enthusiasm to change your life and to get fit or whatever, one of the best ways you can direct that energy is through setting up your environment for success. Get rid of all the shitty food, download the apps that you need, join a thing, join a cl- like That's when you set up your environment for success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just another quick one, the power of your peeps as well. How important it is to have the right people around you as well and distance yourself away from the wrong people. Can you expand on that a little bit? Oh my gosh. And you've probably heard that you become like the five people you hang out with most. So I'm just, the people you're hanging out with don't have the kind of habits that are going to make you the kind of person you want to be. Then I'm not saying ditch your unfit friends. I'm just saying that you might want to start cultivating some friendships and some groups that are people who are aspirational to you because you will unconsciously conform to the people around you. And I love everyone thinks they're immune to this. Everyone's like, not me. I don't care about who's doing what on social media. Oh my gosh, yes, you do. This is proven so many times. So the best thing you can do for yourself is instead of conscious, unconsciously being influenced by all the bullshit on social media and all the people around you, consciously choose, this is the environment. These are the people that I want to influence me. And then you will get the results that you want. We care so much about what other people think, but we don't realize that people actually don't think about us, which is, which is, I think we learned that in our sixties, I heard. Another one you talk about is break up with your own bullshit as well. So break up with your bullshit. What do you mean by break up with your bullshit? Yeah. Your bullshit is the belief systems you have right now that are holding you back, that are keeping you stuck. So all of us have a reason that we think we're not in the best shape. I don't have the time. That would be an example of some bullshit. So I'm not saying that I know your schedule and yes, you do have time and blah, blah, blah. I am saying that if this was really important to you, you would find. And so I think that what you need to do is root out your bullshit. So this is again, why meditation is so great because you can start to watch your thoughts. And then once you've, oh, I have the story in my head that I'll never get fit because of my genetics or because of my bad knee or because I'm in menopause or blah, 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 blah. The best thing to do is to take that bullshit and answer it yourself. For example, if you've got, oh, I said I wasn't going to eat cake, but ah, you only live once, right? And you're like, okay, you only live once. There's That's my bullshit. I use, you only live once all the time. And so then you can answer it with something like, yeah, I only live once and I want to do it in a body that feels incredible to me. So I'm not going to have the cake. No, it's perfect. It's it's self-coaching, but it's also dropping away your sort of your automatic negative self-talk, which comes up all the time. And it's consciously overtaking that with conscious self-talk to say, I hear you, but here's what we're going to do. I hear you, but here's what we're going to do. I love one of the chapters you write, if you can't do something right, do it totally half-assed as well. So I love the idea of small wins reinforce the habit loop, and then small wins make your habits bullshit-proof as well. I just love that as well. We'll move on. What is how to fight the fuckets? What is that? So the fuckets is when you say, I know I said I was going to get up and do my boot camp class, but fuck it. I just got to sleep in or fuck it. Like this, I said I wasn't going to drink, but fuck it, it's Friday night, whatever. So you have that, those fuck it moments. And so one of the ways you're going to fight the fuck it is by, again, making those, those habits smaller, make them teeny tiny. You can say, I'm going to get up for my bootcamp class, but you'd be like, okay, all I got to do is get up and let the dog out or whatever. Make it so small that it becomes proof, right? I think we'll tie a bow in the book through there. So for my audience, there's a lot more to cover through there. So we'll we'll plug the book. Where's the best place people can buy the book and follow yourself as well? And then we're going to jump into a quick rapid fire question before we wrap up the podcast. <laughs> awesome. All right. You can learn all about my book 
and my programs. And there's a whole bunch of freebies at fitfeelsgood.com. And the book is called Healthy as Fuck. And you can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books as well. Oh, and on Audible. Actually, I think it might even be free for Audible Plus subscribers. So look into that. Awesome. And why is there two different titles for different countries as well? Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, it was crazy. So it was released under Healthy as Fuck um, in the US as well. And the book really, it smashed in Canada and in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand. And for some reason, it just didn't fly in the US. And my US publisher was like, I think it's because of the swearing. And I'm looking at the bookshelves being like, I don't think it's because of the swearing, if you, especially because it came out in 2019. Every book was a fuck book. And they said, let's try and re-release it under a new title. And they did a whole bunch of testing. They ran Facebook ads with all these different titles and images. And what won for Facebook people, American Facebook people, was Ditch the Diet and a Picture of Bok Choy. And so that's what won. And you know what? It still didn't... It, Healthy as fuck did better. When I was a bit like, I knew that was a better title. Just the diet is not as good a title, but whatever. It's all good. <laughs> no, cool, cool. No, no stress as well. So we're going to jump into a quick rapid fire question as well. I'll ask some questions. Whatever comes to mind. Where did you grow up? Oh, all over Canada, but Calgary, Alberta. Cool. What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? Some people think that I am like, perfect when it comes to the fitness stuff and that I came out of the womb doing cartwheels and eating vegetables and that is not the case. What's one favorite thing about where you live? Oh my gosh. I live on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia, Canada, and I can see the ocean from here and there's deer on my lawn and it's just beautiful. Oh wow. What's one thing you can't live without? Dark chocolate. Coffee. Coffee. Yeah, me too. Dark chocolate and coffee. When you were younger, what did you want to be? Oh, actor. And what's one person who motivates you? Gosh, yeah, first thing that came to mind was Tony Robbins. Cool, cool. He's the one that started me off 20 years ago. No way, me too. Personal power cassette tapes. Personal, yeah, per, the yeah, personal power seat. I used to download it on torrents, but uh, yeah, funny that. Yeah, I've still got it, which is crazy. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be? I have to go with my mission here. Right now, about 50% of at least women in North America are on a diet to lose weight. It's going to fail and make them feel like shit about themselves. I feel like that is such a waste of valuable human energy. And that everyone deserves a simple system that makes them feel good. And that's my mission. Favorite podcast or YouTube shows or channels that you binge? You know what? I do mostly audio books. So I don't know a lot of podcasts yet. I'm just getting into the podcasts. Yeah, cool. That's fine. Do you have a favorite quote? Probably the one from Aristotle there. And do you have any favorite productivity hacks? Oh, just, <laughs> I was going to say, just shut up and do it. I feel like people waste so much energy thinking of reasons why they don't have to do it. And I feel like that actually takes more energy than just freaking doing it. Whatever the it is for you, you know what it is. You don't even, you don't need me to tell you. There's a thing that you're not doing right now. And I'm just saying, just fucking do it. You've survived the rapid fire question round. So Una, thank you for being a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast. And to my audience out there, please go follow Una, buy her books and yeah, amazing stuff. Healthy as fuck. Go out there, become healthy as fuck. And if you want to find out more about Una, go to her socials and go to her website and check out her challenges as well. Again, thank you for being a guest and get on with the rest of the day. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I'll speak to you soon.